This is a Metaphysical Connection edition of the Thor Chronicles radio show for February 14th, 2020, for the love of the paranormal. Recorded on the same day as the New Hampshire primary, Jason Cousineau talks about going down his own rabbit hole after finding the Center for the Study of Intelligence on the CIA's website, while Eric Renderking Fisk, that's me, dabbles in the Seth Rich conspiracy thanks to Judicial Watch. Talk about the British government opening up their own disclosure website and sharing with the public their own UFO investigations brings us to the discussions about the books, the CIA UFO Papers, 50 Years of Government Secrets and Cover-Ups by Dan Wright, and the book written by abductee Calvin Parker, Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. While you're listening to this episode, be sure to shop for some Fedora Chronicles swag at zazzle.com slash store slash Fedora Chronicles, where 12.5% of every sale keeps this podcast on the air and online. Commentary on pop culture and current events to the perspective of film snobs and diesel punks, with topics ranging from conspiracy theories, true crime, and the paranormal. You can listen to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. If your favorite podcast service doesn't have the Federal Chronicles radio show, let us know and we'll fix it right away. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, so you'll never guess what I did this morning. What did you do this morning? I went out and voted. Almost voted. A, almost exactly at eight o'clock this morning. More, give or take a minute. I thought or the two. Prim- I thought the primary was next. Week. Oh no, it's this week. Holy it's shit! It's today. I completely lost track. It's today. It's today, or it was for it was today for me, and I did it already. And then I, I took a picture of my ballot and I sent it to you. Very nice. Yeah. So. I don't know. Do we do we want to talk more about what you know why I voted the way I voted, or basically you could just go to our index page, thefedorachronicles.com slash index dot html, or just go thefedorachronicles.com, and pretty much you can you could just scan and skim the front page, and you could pretty much look at the index of all the episodes that we've done in the past couple of months, and you could probably figure out what I did. You could probably figure out who I voted for. Okay. 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 Do we want to talk about what happened last night? Or is that something we want to save for um, our news of the week show? Because basically, I think we're just doing the paranormal. This, uh, yeah, today. let's just let's stay with the with the paranormal. Okay. Today. All right. So, um, yeah, because a lot of people are saying, oh, you guys got to catch up on your paranormal news. And, uh, and I mean, they're not wrong. They're we not wrong. We haven't done it for... Well, way too long anyway. Yes, yes. So the thing is, is that the obvious question that I have for you is that do you have like an, a burning issue that you need to talk about and share with the group in the realm of the paranormal that has nothing to do with Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina candle? Because um, I mean, what really doesn't have something to do with Gwyneth Paltrow's <laughs> vagina candle? I mean, let's be honest. We're talking paranormal. <laughs> there are. There are ghosts coming up from the grave that are like, give me the candle that smells like my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I am going through. Yes. Someone um, entered a 
FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. Yes. And so the CIA Center for the Study of Intelligence has released a whole bunch of crap. Yes, they have. And I've been slowly going through that. I'm not quite ready to really talk about it yet. Okay. But here, let me give you the link in case you want to. Uh, It'll be in, in our show notes. Exactly. It's, so people can study up and be prepared for the next one. Right. And the name. Homework. You guys have homework now. Yep. We got. We're, yeah, we're turning into one of those podcasts. No, we're not. Yep. No, so, not. so I'm. I hated homework I'm, in high I'm, school. The, it really sort of depends on the homework that I was doing. Um, but I mean, obviously, of course. Um, English and social studies were two of my favorite courses because if you can't dazzle the, your teacher with brilliance, you can baffle them with bullshit. And what exactly did Jay send here? Well, I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs. And it says, it is the Center for the Study of Intelligence. The mission of the Studies of Intelligence is to stimulate within the intelligence community the constructive discussion of important issues of the day to expand knowledge of the lessons learned from the past experiences to increase understanding of the history of the profession and to provide readers with considered reviews of public literature concerning intelligence doesn't that sound like something that you would read in like a college syllabus though it really it really the does. purpose of this class <laughs> it really does the purpose of this class is for you to kiss my ass so you can get an A, signed Professor Fisk. All statements <laughs> of fact, opinion, or analysts expressed in the studies of intelligence and CSI publications are those of the authors. They do not re necessarily reflect official positions or the views of the Central Intelligence Agency or any of the other U.S. government ent entity past past or present. Nothing in the context should be constructed as asserting or implying the U.S. government endorses of an article's factual statements or in impressions. And then it goes on to list these publications. And there's these, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 12 on just CSI publications. Yep. And then there's, there's got to be at least maybe two dozen Yep issues of studies and in intelligence that are unclassified extracts right now this brings up a very interesting movie and we were actually going to talk about six days of the condor that starring mm -hmm. robert Redford. is it six days or three days of the condor i'm not sure I think it's three three okay. days of the condor so we're going to actually consult the Oracle of Google because I think the name of the book is Six Days of the Condor. And they just compressed it to three days because there's, yeah. So, yeah, Three Days of the Condor is a 1975 American political thriller directed by Stanley Pollock and starring Robert Redford, Faye Dunaway, and Cliff Robinson, Max von Schadow. Um, so yeah, the book was called, and what it is, is that it's about a CIA analyst that accidentally stumbles upon a plot found in a, a specific publication. I'm not sure if they're clear on the publication. And the thing is, is that the, they, that the, his entire office in New York, the New York branch of the CIA who do the, the literary, literary analysis, everybody in his office it was assassinated while he was out for coffee or getting lunch for everybody. And it founds out that he specifically stumbled upon a plot by the U.S. government to start a war with Iraq. This is back in 1975. 
start start a war with Iraq so eventually we would be able to take all all of their uh, oil and a lot of people like to go back and look at this and say this is proof that people in Hollywood had sort of caught on to what the CIA is up to it seems like kind of like a really sort of random thought and it going back and looking at this movie again for the first time is sort of like a little terrifying because some of the things actually did come to pass because it turns out that yes the CIA scours literary publications of all kinds to look for like strange weird thoughts and ideas and um uh, sedition and we know we kind of know for a fact that they also monitor websites to see if anybody is saying anything seditious and sort of nip yeah. nip people in the bud um and in fact there was um because i'm a geek and yep. i'm into role-playing games Steve Jackson Games, which is the producer of GURPS and Munchkin and a number of other games. Actually, they wrote a, what's called a source book for their role-playing game GURPS um, for Cyberpunk. And their research into, uh, into the basically cyber, the cyberpunk genre uh, included a lot of, you know, computer programs and ways of hacking and cybernetic uh, augmentation, all this other kind of stuff. And this was back in 70, I want to say it was the late 70s, early 80s. I'm not entirely sure exactly when it is. I want to say it was 78, but I'm not 100% sure on that. And they were actually raided by the CIA. Yeah. They, they came in, raided their office and stole and stole a bunch of their research. They had copies. So, you know, it wasn't like they it was completely gone, but still. Still, it's it's pretty, it's pretty terrifying when you realize that you're just doing something internet, you know, innocent for entertainment. Yeah, yeah, just for entertainment purposes. And the CIA seems to think that somehow it's like you're committing acts of treason or sedition or something like that. And it was just like I'm not sure if that's the point, but that's, but I don't know if that's the point that you were getting at. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly it. You never know what's what's going to be considered to be seditious or um, treasonous or anything else for that matter right right and i think it is very interesting and all in terrifying now that we know thanks to wikileaks that the cia does things they like they're not supposed to be spying on american citizens they're not even supposed to be operating within the boundaries of the continental united states alaska hawaii and and puerto rico if you consider puerto rico a state they're supposed to be an external or international agency they're supposed yep. to act in our interests abroad so the idea that the cia is spying on american citizens should be pissing off two groups of people american citizens and the nsa because that's the nsa's job <laughs> <laughs> right why you walk stepping all over me man what man come on man this my this is my corner to work that's my job what the hell dude right so did you, you guys go bother the russians or some shit exactly so did you find anything interesting in scouring um i haven't finished yet dude all right <laughs> but, but yeah. have you found anything of interest yet um i found things that are interesting but i'm not entirely sure on what the full implications of them are you know i haven't really uh completely thought about the full impact of it so yeah yeah, I mean, it's 
It's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's not quite not quite ready to discuss it on the show yet. Okay. One of the things that I did want to um, discuss really briefly, um, speaking about um, conspiracy theories and the government spying covert operations by organizations like the CIA, the NSA, and now the FBI. I listened to the podcast from Judicial Watch, which is really just the audio feed for the weekly vlog, as it were, from Tom Fitton. Tom Fitton does this weekly update where he talks about what Judicial Watch does. And just as a quick, quick FYI, this is from Wikipedia. Judicial Watch is an American conservative activist group that files Freedom of Information Act lawsuits to investigate claimed misconduct by government officials. Founded in 1994, Judicial Watch has primarily targeted Democrats, in particular the presidency of Bill Clinton and President Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. That's not... It's not entirely unfair, but they've also gone after um, George Bush's administration and um, filed a lot of, a lot of um, Freedom of Information Act lawsuits in every administration since it was founded in 1994. Tom Fenton had an episode of his podcast for the Judicial Watch talking about the Freedom of Information Act lawsuit that he filed against the FBI looking into the email exchanges between Peter Strzok and his fellow co-worker and mistress, Lisa Page. And in one of the exchanges between the two of them, Peter Strzok was talking to Lisa Page about the conspiracy theory surrounding, what's his name? Um, Rich. Um, oh, um, Seth Rich. Yes. And... Peter Strzok confessed to Lisa Page that he nipped this conspiracy theory and the media coverage of the death of Seth Rich right in the bud. And it makes me kind of like wonder, why would he say that to Lisa Page? One of the things that Peter Strzok and Lisa Page are famous for is another exchange of emails and texts when these two people were talking about the insurance policy they had against Donald Trump. And they had this conversation the night of the inauguration because she was in a panic. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe he's winning. I can't believe he's won. Peter Strzok had basically said, and I'm paraphrasing that don't worry, we have an insurance policy against Donald Trump. He will never become president or he will not remain president for long. And that quote, insurance policy, quote unquote, is the Steele dossier, which turns out to be this phony baloney bogus document created by a think tank group with ties to Hillary Clinton and the Clinton Foundation. And this is where all these things have sort of spiraled out of control. This is where Russiagate came from. And this is where a lot of people have have clung on to the notion that um, Donald Trump is Putin's puppet. And then it turns out that the Steele dossier is a work of fiction. And the real damage is done because even to this day, even after the Mueller report came out and debunked the Steele dossier, people still cling to it as if it's truth. So um, the question that I have for you, Jay, is that how come nobody is really looking into the death of Seth Rich? 
other than a couple of crazy podcasters like ourselves? How come, <laughs> how come people are not looking at this as a smoking gun? Because Peter Strzok came out and he told his mistress, Lisa Page, that he nipped the inv in investigation in the bud. Because how is that, that going to help impeach Trump? How is that going to prevent the Democrats from seizing control of the government? How is that going to, it's, it's not really going to do anything to promote anything on either side. I don't know. Yeah. And that's really kind of it. I mean, that's just what seizes people's imaginations right now is the, the fight between the, between the two parties Yeah, and everything that's going on. And that's pretty much it. You know um, what I mean? Well, the, one of the other issues here is that um, one of the, the links that I sent you, and this is going to be on our show page, is that there are a lot of people who came forward and said that um, they know that DNC officials went to Seth Rich's family and said, um, you got to come out, you got to get in front of this for us. And you have to sort of tell people that they really need to knock it off and let their son like rest in peace and, and, and all of that. And the Seth Rich's family went so far as to file lawsuits against news organizations, specifically Fox News, telling mm -hmm. Fox News to stop talking about Seth Rich. Now, on the one hand, I think that we should respect the family's privacy to an extent. And we should be able to say, you know what, the thing is, is that for, out of respect for the family and out of respect for the dead, we should actually sort of give this a rest. And then when you look closely at it, there's a lot of things that are very sort of peculiar. The police and the FBI say that this was a botched robbery. And yet none of the things like the gold that he was wearing, his wallet, his cell phone, nothing that they usually sell during a robbery were actually stolen. They were, it was found right on him. And he, um, Seth Rich was shot twice, I believe twice in the head. After, I think, think it was somebody from Julian Assange let it slip that Seth Rich was the leaker to WikiLeaks talking about how Debbie Wasserman Schultz and company rigged the DNC primary on behalf of Hillary Clinton to favor Hillary Clinton and to shut Bernie Sanders out of the primary process. And, and Which we now know to be actual fact. What we do. Um, so I, th I think that there's a lot of questions that even Democrats should be asking. And I, and really I don't anyone should be asking. anybody, anybody should be asking because the thing is, is that wh why aren't we talking about this more? And the yeah. thing is, is that, and I mean, granted the parent, the, the parents are deeply concerned that Seth Rich, the, the death of Seth Rich is being politicized. Right. Which is unfortunate. And we're actually going off topic, dude. Oh, I'm sorry. What was the topic? <laughs> the topic is paranormal today. <laughs> and conspiracy theories. <laughs> dude, two days. You can hang on for two days. <laughs> Just two days. Um, this is okay. So a lot of people are um, pointing this out here. One of, the, one of the hot stories in the realm of the paranormal here. Um, this is from um, Space.com. Space.com's article title is uh, British X-Files of UFO Sightings is Going Public. The UK's Ministry of Defense will publish secret UFO reports for the first time. 
And you sent me this last night, and this this is fascinating to me. Not just because they're actually doing it, but because the U.S. government is getting is like doing soft releases right. of stuff like this. So you know, it's interesting to see that, that it's not just the U.S. Right. Um, I want to take a look at a. I want to take a look at. I want to look at that along with the. Uh, the CIA stuff. Right. Um, just really quickly here, this is from the article from space.com. From the early 1950s till 2009, a Department of U, uh, United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense documented investigative reports of UFOs. Now, more than a decade after the program ended, many of those formerly classified files about UFOs will be made public, made, uh, made available to the public for the first time. Previously, some MOD files about UFOs have been published online at the UK's National Archives site, The Telegraph reported. However, all of the agency's UFO reports will be released this year on a, quote, dedicated GovUK webpage, a spokesperson for the British Royal Air Force told The, para- the, the, the Telegraph. Um, now, here's a question for you and our listeners. Is this disclosure, is this full blooded full bore 100% disclosure of course not it's all going to be redacted shit just like the the um, the center for study of intelligence on the um, on the CIA's website it's not going to be a full disclosure it's going to be this is this is a soft release they're not going to have every little thing at least that's that's my thought anyway i could very well be wrong but we'll find out whenever they release it one thing i did notice is that they never mentioned anything about when they're actually sometime this year going to publish these that's all they said sometime this year yeah but it's i mean it's 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 tough it's a it's sort of like one of those things where is is like we've had conversations like this in the past where there's going to be a release of some information and we get our hopes up, we get really excited, only to have them turn around and re- here's hey here's everything. This is a reading of the document that's redacted. Right. The of the with the of the with the of we party number one of. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's seventeen pages of that. Yeah, shit. it's like. <laughs> Redacted was driving down Redacted Road in Redacted State and saw in redacted, a redacted vehicle <laughs> and saw Redacted stream across the sky. Redacted drove to the Redacted location and found the remains of a Redacted, Redacted, Redacted. Right. In a press report by Redacted, you know, so like. <laughs> Yeah. You read it and after a while, you're like, I don't have time for this shit. Right? It's like, come on. I could get more information if I would never mind. I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> but that but 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 this is something this is something very interesting. One of the things that I had discovered yesterday while doing this, and I this this gets back to a conversation that we had about Google, or the ongoing conversation that we've had about Google. One of the things that I did yesterday well, Jay and I were talking about doing the show on the paranormal. Um, I downloaded the DuckDuckGo browser. Did you know that DuckDuckGo has its own browser? 
I did not. Duck, I got to look up that. DuckDuckGo has its own browser for the iPhone. I don't know if it actually has. I don't know if it, it's it's available for PC or not. Granted, I just found out about this yesterday, and um, you download the the browser, and it's amazing the search results that you get from DuckDuckGo using their using their browser and their search engine. So I think that that's an important tool for for conspiracy theorists like ourselves and paranormal investigators to use. Yeah. There, there's DuckDuckGo and um, any of the Tor browsers, right? Which have a VPN in them that you can then set up and blah blah blah. So, so one of the things. So, what else were we going to talk about? Well, there was a number of articles you sent me last night regarding the 1973 Pascagoula, Mississippi abduction. It's funny you mentioned that because the two authors of that book are now our Facebook friends. Woo-hoo. Yes. So do you want, because I've now I've read the book or I've listened to the book that the, that the two authors wrote. I'm calling up the name of the book right now. This is like one of those things where is, is like, is my phone going to just start playing? Okay. So this, the, the name of the book is my story, Kelvin Parker, and it's about the, okay. Stop opening things without me telling you. So the name of the book is My Story, Calvin Parker, Pascagoula, The the Closest Encounter, um, with a forward by Philip Mantle, who is also a Facebook friend of ours. And and it, it is probably one of the most amazing UFO stories that you have ever heard. The book was released about two years ago. And it's about... and. It's a story about two guys, friends from work, who are out fishing, and they claim to have been abducted and have experiments performed on them. One night in Mississippi, one summer night in Mississippi, and originally people were like, "Well, this is this is a crazy story. This story doesn't seem to hold any water." Until people came forward and say that they saw the same craft flying low just above the treetops on the same night of the alleged abduction. But should I really even say alleged abduction? Well, I think we still have to say alleged abduction. Right. Um, And many people have come forward and have said that, yeah, I mean, yes, indeed, I saw the craft that... Calvin Parker. Well, it's not many. I mean, it's just really one more witness. Actually, I sent you a couple of links to about three three other witnesses. No, they're all the same witness, dude. Okay, they're all the same witness. In, yeah, so. in, but in 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 the book, in the book, my story by Calvin Parker, it, there are other people who have come forward and have said that they they saw the spacecraft. So. And there's a weird sound coming through the microphone. Are your na- are your are your neighbors playing with their big toys again? Well, yeah, but not the same neighbor. One of the one of my neighbors in the apartment complex here just left in his motorcycle. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> he's trying to outdo the other neighbors on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be annoying. Well, I mean, it's seven thirty in the morning. And it's getting into nicer weather, allegedly. So we'll see how that. Yeah, goes. I, I I forget that you are you're in um, 
uh, Utah, and the weather it gets a lot nicer a lot sooner and stays nicer. Well, supposedly. I mean, sometimes it does. <laughs> uh, I'm actually. Sometimes it's earlier out here. I mean, this year is being a pain in the ass, but whatever. Yes. So anyway, um, at the time though, there were witnesses. There were witnesses to the UFO. Um, the, the I don't even know UFO. I mean, there's a lot of people have um, a lot of people have speculated what kind of craft was it. What, um, I'm just going to read. This is a quick thing from Wikipedia here about the alleged abduction. On the evening of October 11th, 1973, co-workers, 72-year-old Charles Hickinson, Hickson and 19-year-old Calvin Parker told um, the Jacobson County, Mississippi Sheriff's Office that they were fishing off of a pier on the west bank of the Pascagoula River in Mississippi when they heard a whizzing buzzing sound, saw two flashing blue lights and an oval-shaped object 20 or 30 feet across and 8 to 10 feet high. Parker and Hickson claimed that they were, they were conscious but paralyzed while, the, while three creatures took them aboard their craft and subjected them to an examination before releasing them. Which is, it's a, it's an it's an it's an odd story in and of itself. It it yeah. sort of is like the sort of like um, not in broad daylight, um, but this but no, but not yeah exactly not like middle of the night either. Not in the middle of the night either. Um, and I think that the that um, I th I think that what makes this story so captivating are the few other people who have claimed to have seen the same alien craft heading in the same direction that night as documented in their book. Right. So the thing, so it's like, how come it's not more mainstream or how come the story is not as well known as say, I don't know, Roswell. Well, first of all, it's Mississippi, right? You know? So, I mean, and say what you want, there's stereotypes, right? Yes. So Roswell's famous because it involves a the government comes out and they take supposedly the the artifacts or whatever, the stuff that fell from the sky, right? This involves two guys from Mississippi, from Pascagoula, Mississippi. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. It doesn't I don't know why, but for some reason people in the South seem to not get a really a fair shake on right it because of the accent they have a lot of people just assume they're not that intelligent and it's not been my experience I meant plenty of highly intelligent people that sound like they're from the backwoods down there in mississippi right. yep. you know but it, it, that really doesn't matter so i think that is part of it though i i, I think I, that is part of it i think that one of the most important aspects of this and it's sort of like it's sim it's it's similar with to Travis Walton's story, whereas Travis Walton had said time and again, I wish this never happened, and I wish I never said anything because this story has basically ruined my life. Right. Um, Calvin Parker had said that on many different occasions. As a matter of fact, when the first for the first couple of years, he actually sort of like remained numb. Um, he he went on a he went on a talk show with his fellow abductee and he didn't he didn't say much of anything he tried to keep as quiet as possible and he did everything that he possibly could to 
be as low key about this as possible. And I don't. But get, at the same time, he still wanted to get the message out. He wanted to get the message. Something happened. Right. And and the whole the whole point of it is is that he um, Calvin Parker had said, "Listen, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they were space aliens or demons. I don't know what it is, but something happened." And I don't know what it is. I'd like answers. I'd like to know what happened to me. Which is why they step forward. Yeah. Which is why they say something. Because, and the the question, it's not an unfair question to ask. Were these experiments conducted on him by members of a Rome military with an experimental aircraft or something? That's not an unfair question. And, and uh. sort of like raising a flag. I mean, the most the most likely or most plausible explanation to this, if there really was a craft, and there's a story here that I'm looking at, um, three witnesses in two separate situations, um, the night that they saw the same thing as Calvin Parker. Um, that's, a, that's another story that I'm going to leak to. Other people claim to have seen this craft that same night. These two men claim that they were abducted by something. And I think that the credibility that, that I'm giving Calvin Parker is that he didn't say definitively, this is who they were. This is, they, they were just creatures. They're weird looking creatures that, that came out of the ship or they now were that, in the ship. That in and of itself is something I find interesting. Right. They're described as about five feet tall, had bullet shaped heads without necks slits for mouths and where their nose or ears would be they had thin conical objects sticking out like carrots from a snowman's head they had no eyes gray wrinkled skin round feet and claw-like hands that is unlike any other description of an alien that i've come across yeah you know and that in and of itself to me is is striking about this because when everyone's describing the same thing, you can, you know, if, if you're on the belief side of things, you can say, well, that's evidence. You know, it's the same people that are coming here all the time. And on the skeptical side of things, you can say, well, they just, they've read that. So that's what, of course, they're going to assume right. that's what they look like. You know what I mean? But with this, that's not like anything I've ever heard right. them being described as. Yeah, I mean, and, and, it seems to me as if it's like it's very unplausible that somebody like um calvin parker would make up it seems very it right. seems to me it's not something that charles hickson would make up and it's right. it, it, it now here's the thing if this happened five or six years later after the release of close encounters and they said that they were like childlike beings naked no genitalia with a large head and 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 black saucer-like eyes, you'd say, okay, these guys were smoking something after they saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But for right. them to say what they said and described it the way that they did, it was just like, how could they have come up with that? I'm not. And and the thing is, am, am I am I disparaging them by saying, I I don't think that they're creative enough to come up with something like that. And, and then at, at some point, you'd sort of have to 
kind of ask you, like, where, where did these ideas come from? Because they don't, they don't seem to be like the kind of nerd that would be camped out living in their mom's basement, reading science fiction pulp magazines. They don't, they, they, they don't seem like kind of like sci-fi guys. Does that make any sense? Right. They don't, they're not the kind of people that are, they're going to be, they're not, uh, take all of the witnesses out of it. Yeah. They're not the kind of guys who are going to sit there at the fishing hole, smoking some bud and going, dude, we should claim we got abducted by one of them, the alien things. Know what I'm saying? <laughs> it doesn't dude. seem right. Yeah, that's, that seems very out of character for them. Now, there's nothing in here to indicate what kind of people they are, but it just, it, it just doesn't doesn't feel like that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, um, but at the same time, I mean, I'm looking at, <clears throat> there's a ufocasebook.com article about the original 1973 abduction. Mm-hmm. And in it, he said, the, uh, the sheriff felt that two men's story was some kind of hoax. And to get to the truth, he put them into a room which was wired for sound, hoping that they would slip up and reveal why they were perpetuating such a strange tale. Soon, news of the event began to surface. Local press released the first story, quickly followed by the wire services. Within a few days, the Pascagoula incident was major news all over the U.S. The Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, APRO, you can tell this was in the 70s because they were just acronyms. They didn't say anything fancy. Right. Sent the University of California professor James Harder to investigate. Dr. J. Allen Hynek, representing the Air Force, also arrived to look into the story. Harder and Heineck interviewed Hickson and Parker together. Harder rec- hypnotized Hickson, but he became so frightened that the session had to be aborted. Now, Heineck is famous for being a UFO investigator. Yes. Um, JM. He's actually remember the old Project Blue Book television he, he was, show. Yeah, he's 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 Mister Project Blue Book. Right. He's he's the guy that one of the characters was supposed to represent. Right. And the thing that I thought was really interesting is that J. Allen Hayek went into this very skeptical. Um, he's like he's like one of those guys who's like, he's, he's sort of like, if, if Dana Scully and Fox Mulder actually had a kid. Right. And the thing is, I want to believe, but I'm very skeptical. I want to believe that there's UFOs. I want to believe that there's there's intelligent life visiting here. But I'm I, I'm convinced that far too many people are making up stories that have muddled the topic. He went to Mississippi very very skeptical, and he left Mississippi convinced that this is probably the the smoking gun maybe of of of, of UFO stories. This it, 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 this is probably one of the most well documented UFO abduction and sighting stories that he had ever seen. Right. It's after reading the, and listening to the story about Calvin Parker and and his buddy being abducted and doing all the background research into this. It's hard for it's it's hard for anybody to sort of shrug your shoulders and say they're they're, they're making it up. Right, and the thing that's interesting about all this to me, I mean, uh, in the article, it says that Heineck stated there was definitely something here that was not terrestrial. Right. And there's pictures of uh, Hickson and Parker at the time. 
these do not look like guys that are likely to make stuff up. I mean, Hickson's in the picture anyway, looks to be in his like mid to late forties. Um, Parker looks to be in his like late twenties, early thirties. These don't, they don't look like guys that are like, Hey, let's, let's fuck with the cops. You know what I mean? Right. Um, especially because people who want to do that are not going to take it as far as it was taken. Right. There's, they're going to, they'll back down once, you know, you get a college professor and an air force official showing up at your door. One of them asking to hypnotize you. You know what I mean? Right. It's not, if you're perpetuating something at some point in the investigation, it breaks down and it becomes obvious that you're making shit up. And these guys, they passed, they had a lie detector test. They got, well, Hickson got hypnotized. It's the only one that they, they actually mentioned. Yeah. Um, and today, a lot of people kind of poo-poo hypnotism, but there's a lot of studies that indicate there's something to hypnotism, but it's not everything that some people claim and blah, blah, blah. But so it's interesting that hypnotism was actually part of it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, for someone like Heinick to state definitively, there was definitely something here that was not terrestrial. That's pretty damn impressive. That's not Fox Mulder saying that. That's that's someone like Scully saying right, that. Right. And the thing is, is that they went so far as to go all the way from Mississippi to Chicago in the mid-70s to actually talk about their encounter on the Mike Douglas show. I don't know if you, like, remember Mike Doug- Douglas. He had... Um, it's sort yeah, of like he was a, in The Romancing the Stone. It was awesome. No, no, not that one. <laughs> You're thinking Michael Douglas. I'm talking Mike... <laughs> God, I can't take you anywhere, can I? <laughs> That's okay. You can't dress me up either. Well, <laughs> there was there was that afternoon that we were perusing the liquor store, and then we headed over to Home Goods to find some 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 well, drinking yeah. champagne yeah, goblets there, and stuff. There was, but you have to admit, I was rocking that mini skirt. <laughs> no, actually, you were not rocking that mini skirt. Just to let <laughs> yes, I was. Yes, I was. Let me have this. <laughs> I'll let you have that. But, (laughs) I I mean, I think that the most fascinating part about this is that even the people who are skeptical, had they concede something happened. It's inevitable that they say, okay, something did happen. We just can't really write it off as aliens. I mean, it's the the sighting of of the craft, as it were. I don't want to call it a UFO because... That it, that's just that An term has been played craft. out, huh? Egg-shaped crap. This egg-shaped crap. More pe- a lot of a few people have come forward and said on the same night that they saw the craft, right? And then mm-hmm. for people to, to for people to come out and 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 say, you know, I've talked to these people, and and, and they, I mean, when somebody says, "Listen, right now, I'm telling you, right now, I'm not lying. I'll take a polygraph right now." Usually alarm bells should be going off because one of two things is true. You're an idiot to think that you can actually beat the polygraph test by doing special breathing exercises or whatever. Or you are so convinced that you're telling the truth that you're willing to take a polygraph test. Usually right. you usually people are usually when people are asked by the police, would you like to take a polygraph test? Usually if you're lying, 
or if you know that you're guilty, you say, I'd like to, but I'd like to talk to my lawyer first. I want my lawyer. I want a lawyer present. No, I will not take a polygraph test. I want to see my lawyer. Let's say something like a variation of that. When people are like pounding the desk, says, I want a polygraph test right now. Usually that's a sign that somebody is very confident that what they're saying is, is the actual truth. Right. And especially more so in the 70s than today, because today we know that polygraph tests are not 100% reliable. No. We know that there's, you know, you can, people can game a, a polygraph. Sure. In the 70s, that wasn't, well, it wasn't well known right. anyway. Right. The, the belief at the time of, of most people in the general population was that if you take give me a polygraph test, it's going to tell whether I'm lying or not. Yep. Truth is not necessarily. So the fact that these guys are willing to do that in the 70s when that sort of thing was that was the thought was that if you're lying, you're definitely going to get found out by this machine. Yeah, that says a lot. So, I mean, yeah, I, I on this one, I think something happened. Um, one of the articles that you sent me last night, and I do apologize earlier. I said it was just the same person, but you're right. There was three people, there right. was a couple, and then there was another woman. Right. Um, the couple was actually across the Pascagoula River. They were in another town and they saw it. And then there was another woman um, who believes she saw it too. Or she was walking down a pier. She saw something that splashed into the river. Right. So that was, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that is documented in this book um, by Kelvin Parker is that there is a, um, I'm trying to, th I'm, uh, chapter 11, Other Witnesses, and and it's about listening to the audiobook. It's it's a 40 minute it's a 40 minute listen, and um, one of the witnesses tells the interviewer about his nightly routine, what he did last night. He was able to say exactly what TV show he was watching after he was done watching the TV show, which I think was Kung Fu, the David Carradine TV show. I yep. think it was. I might be wrong. So he's got he's got the night and he's got the time. After the TV show was was over, he turned off the TV. He went to check the door and and make sure that the door was locked. He went outside before before he locked the door. He went outside, did this nightly routine, like walking around his property, or you know, to see if everything was okay before we called it a night. And that's when he saw the egg-shaped craft. That witness in and of itself has, it has everything. It has the location, and it has the time, and it has the date. And I think that that would be very hard for somebody to lie about. And many of these witnesses, one of the things I also have to add here, up until a couple of years ago, since the release of Calvin Parker's book, none of the witnesses really spoke to each other. None of the, none of the witnesses even knew the others existed or knew that they were also witnesses to this event it wasn't in, right. it wasn't they saw what parker and hickson went through. right after after 45 years these people actually at, you know talking to the press in reference to this book people will come forward yeah for 45 years i've held on to the secret <laughs> which which to me i don't know maybe it's just me but i kind of imagine them being like you know their retirement age and they're sitting down Ah, uh, fuck them. Yeah. We'll just sell them. 
I'm just, I, I don't want to hold it in anymore. I'm just going to tell them, I don't care if they think I'm crazy. What are they going to do, lock me up? Like, what's the, like, I mean, at some point, it's like, what's, what's the worst that could happen? What's the, exactly. What's the, at some point, what's the worst that could happen? You already have your retirement fund. You, right. You already have, you've probably already cashed out. They're not going to, like, withhold your Social Security checks, as far as I know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's unlikely, because then you can put up a really big stink. Right. They think I'm crazy. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that they don't deny you your social security checks just because you're, you're, you're crazy. Right. Exactly. So, I don't know. It just, it's one of those, it's one of those situations where a bunch of people coming out after the fact, all of them reporting the same thing. Their stories are consistent. Their locations are not identical. So, it's not like they were all sitting there together. Yeah. Right. Um, one of them in this article even says that they believe there are more witnesses out there. She said, I definitely do. There's been two or three people that have contacted me privately that didn't want their names used. I believe there are more people that haven't come forward. Back in the 70s, you just didn't talk about it. Right. I mean, people don't seem to realize that it was a different world back in the 60s and 70s and maybe even the early 80s. I, I think that thanks to people like Steven Spielberg, um who made it okay and cool to talk about UFOs and encounters with extraterrestrials. Didn't, didn't he actually have a movie about an extraterrestrial? I'm not, I'm not too something sure. Like that. Something, something like that. Something, some, some sort of cutesy little fucking thing walking some kind around. Of, some kind of like tur- binocular strapped to its head or something. Some kind of turtle head, you know, like Tur- that, yeah. turtle yeah. head. I think the name of the movie was turtle head, the extraterrestrial, something like that. Something yeah. like yeah. that. And the thing is, but the thing is even, I mean, in the late seventies, People did not easily talk about encounters. Um, one of one of the other books that I wanted to talk about. This is sort of like becoming UFO book talk with Eric and Jay. <laughs> I think that one of the most important books on the topic of UFOs that have been released recently, another decent book, is the CIA UFO Papers by Dan Wright. Another. Facebook friend of mine, I believe. And I'm actually viewing the details right now. And it's like, here are the secret CIA papers that prove that the government has been tracking UFOs and extraterrestrials for over 50 years. In the autumn of 2016, the CIA sent to its website a cache of electronic files previously released under the Freedom of Information Act but housed in the National Archives. Among a variety of subjects were, quote, unidentified flying objects, unquote. Finally, a stockpile of reports and correspondences were available for serious UFO research researchers to examine at home, Jason. The book consists of a selection of those secret files. Dan Wright spent 18 months selecting, editing, and organizing 550 files that were relevant to UFO research and produced a chronological collection of CIA documents spanning from 1949 to 2000. Each chapter focuses on a particular year. The summary of the documents for each year is followed by a selection called While You Were Away From Your Desk, which provides historical and cultural context for the document summaries and examines other sightings and contacts that are not mentioned in the CIA files. And there's a lot of stuff in here about, um, such as J. Edgar Hoover's fascination with UFOs. And the, and the whole premise of this book is 
why specifically was the was the CIA so fascinated with UFOs? And I think the obvious question is is that well, it if it's not extraterrestrial, then it must be Russians or it must be the Chinese or somebody, right? Who is it exactly? And why? I mean, this is this is the thing that um that always the logic falls down for me. Why would what benefit would the Russians or whomever? How would what benefit would they get from it of faking a UFO or just having a um, a spacecraft? I mean, having a, not just a spacecraft, but a a non conventional flying craft that defies our understanding of, of of aeronautics and physics, and and outperforms our own aircraft. I think that to look at that. And to say, hey, that's that's kind of important. Do the Russians have some kind of flying craft that puts our aircraft to shame? Not an un, right. yeah, right. But well, that's that's like I can understand the government's interest in that. You know what I mean? And that would prompt those investigations. But again, if the Russians had such of a such a plane like that, what the fuck would it be doing in Pascagoula, Mississippi? You know that hotbed of military intelligence. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, that, I mean, it, let's just say that it was a Russian craft or a Chinese craft. What a great way to demoralize um, Americans. Hey, listen, we can just we can just abduct you at will. We can just we could just pluck you off the surface of the planet, mess with you for a little bit, and then drop you off as if nothing happened. And there's not a damn thing you can do to stop it. But now, but that, we, at that point, what falls apart is there. The description of the two things. Yeah. They're not described as being very tall. Right. They're not talking about a six foot tall guy. They're talking about five feet tall. You know, so that falls apart there. Unless the unless the Russians are a hell of a lot more advanced in their robotics than in the seventies than we ever imagined they could be. Maybe not just a I mean just anti grav technology or whatever whatever it takes to get these things to fly. Yeah. Well, I mean, depending on who you believe, supposedly we've had anti-gravity technology since the 50s. Allegedly. Allegedly. Right. So, where it you know. Yeah, where it all comes from is up for, up, up for debate. But I do think that one of the things that we ought to do sometime in the not-too-distant future when we do another just pure paranormal show is talk about UFO sightings within the Soviet Union or UFO sightings in Russia. Because there, there, there is a strange correlation. Because the thing is, is that while the, the former Soviet Union kept everything very quiet, close to the vest, now with the fall of the Berlin Wall, there are stories coming out saying that they're like if you were going to like just do a quick duck, duck, go search of um, oh sweet Jesus, um, let's just do Russia's Wa- Roswell. <laughs> Now, see what happens. So, I mean, while you're doing that, the the other thing, too, that intrigues me anyway, that I think about is if we were say we did make it to another world. Right. And we found out there was an there was an alien life on that world and it was intelligent, but not at the same technological level that we were at. Yeah. And we wanted to investigate it. What would we do? Would we announce ourselves to that government or would we? perhaps take samples of citizens from lesser populated areas. 
<laughs> That's exactly what we would do. <laughs> right? And what are they doing? You know, everyone's like, how come it never happens in a city? Well, because if you're smart, you don't want to go where there's a high population area and then a bunch of people are going to be looking for you. I'm actually sending something to you right now and I want you to, like, tell me what you think about this. Uh-oh. Yeah. Don't worry, it's nothing dirty this time. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna send it to you this way here. You reach you. Oh, no, Where I, is it? I don't want to send. I'm gonna. I'm sending it to you via um, via messenger, part of our show notes. Like we should, we could do an entire show on this topic here. There we go. Holy crap! Yeah, you you read that out loud and tell me if that's not a topic for a future show. Pustin Yar is a Russian rocket launch and development site in Astrakhan Oblast between Volgograd and Astrakhan. It was established by the Soviet Union on 13th of May 1946 and the beginning used technology, material, and scientific support from defeated Germany. Numerous launches of test rockets for the Russian military were carried out at the site as well as satellite and sounding rocket launches. The town of Zmanansk and Kasputin Yar, the airbase, were built nearby to serve the missile test range. That sounds a lot like that sounds a lot like Roswell. I'm trying to because the thing is is that I got okay. So there was that. Let's see here. There. Okay. Here we go. Here's another thing I wanted to send you here. This is a, this is a link to a book. I want to get the author. How long ago was this published? This is this is this is two years now or three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Read the summary of this and tell me what you think. Tell me if you think that that's pod-worthy. All right, so Russia's Roswell incident and other amazing UFO cases from the former Soviet Union. Much of the information about UFOs and ufology in general appears to originate in the USA, but this is an, in this important new book, authors and researcher, researchers Philip Mantle and Paul Stonehill provide some truly fascinating material from the still enigmatic country of Russia, including accounts from the former Soviet Union. This book also includes information about encounters and sightings that are almost certainly new to many in the UFO community. The book opens with a look at the remarkable 1986 Dalnagorsk crash an incident that resonates powerfully with what allegedly occurred at Roswell in 1947 and produced considerably better hard evidence too. This included rare metals and alloys of unusual materials that do not appear to have been manufactured on Earth. The composites of the alloys are not unknown and do not appear on and do appear on the periodic table, but it is the utterly unique combinations that provide the interest. The book also spends time looking at the 1908 Tunguska incident and produced a considerable array of information gleaned over the years since, suggesting that this was not, as is popularly supposed, a meteor or bolide exploding yeah. overhead, but something else entirely. Yeah. Everything from an extraterrestrial spaceship to some kind of exotic explosive device or astonishingly the result of what amounts to anti-aircraft fire, but aimed by who, what, and at who or what. The authors make a compelling case for the last possibility, and on the face of it, it seems remarkably plausible. Yep. The rest of the book looks at the Russian, especially Soviet, military involvement, the sightings made by various cosmonauts, a close similarity to the U.S. astronaut sightings, plus the KGB and what it knew about the UFOs. There is also a very revealing chapter about the involvement of the American CIA and their UFO disinformation campaign. 
This may have been directed at Russia as well to serve as a screen for American black projects, which of course might also be said for the KGB as well. The book also includes a chapter on the strange and truly remarkable loss of the Phobos-1 and Phobos-2 spacecraft sent to investigate the Martian moon that some claim to be artificial. According to the official accounts, Phobos-1 was lost due to signal failure, but the second craft, Phobos-2, that was something rather different. This craft, in the moments before contact was lost, seems to show something approaching it at great speed, something that originated from the planet Mars itself. What might it have been? Speculation abounds that Phobos-2 was testing some kind of laser device, and this might have been viewed as a possible threat by something that retaliated. Does this have some kind of resonance with what may have occurred at Tunguska? There is no clear answer to this, and the Russian authorities remain tight-lipped about the incident. That sounds fascinating. It really is. And the thing is, is that you you look up Philip Mantle's um, his bibliography, or his body of work on Amazon. He's also one of the co-writers of, of or co-authors of the book that we've been talking about earlier today. So I think that I think he he's an important guest to get. I really do. So yeah. Anyway, there's one other news item that I wanted to talk to you about that um, I'm I'm a little actually I'm I'm angry about this. Like oh, is this about the reporter? Yes. He's yes. he's working our corner. I know, and and he's right around the corner from you. Exactly. Uh, this is from Vice. This reporter keeps asking presidential candidates about UFOs, and it's amazing. <laughs> it sure is. We got to see if we can get him on. Yeah. I feel like UFOs could be one of the greatest news stories of our time, and I want a piece of it, says New Hampshire-based reporter Damon Steer. So guess who's getting a Facebook friend request as of this <laughs> recording? So by hosting informal video recorded Q&A sessions, the Conway Daily Sun has had a lot of politicians vying for the presidency stop by its office. With the New Hampshire's primary being held today, the state is a key player in the success of most Democratic candidates. The interview sessions run about an hour, and Steer, who usually covers politics and crime, waits until the last moment to sneak in the big question on his mind outside of healthcare and education, UFOs. <laughs> I've always been curious about UFOs, Steer told Motherboard in an interview. The first time I asked the question was back in 2008 primary cycle when I was working for the cabinet press. Hillary Clinton claimed to the office, came to the office for an editorial board meeting the question popped into my head. I figured she might know something since she was a former first lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, you know, you got to love that guy. He's got, I, I do. I got to admit the fact that he, that is the, the idea that he would actually come on. Oh, the, the idea that Tulsi Gabbard won't come on to our podcast, but they'll talk to him has me a little pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's he's also working for the Conway Daily Sun, you know. I mean, he's he's got a quote unquote legitimate news office, right? So right. He's that's that's probably more to do with it. Hey, I honestly, I probably would have retired the question in 2016, but then the David Fravers story came along yeah. in December 2017. Turns out Fravers from New Hampshire. When I realized that, it felt like I had a mandate from the universe to keep asking about the UFOs. Yep. Oh man. Yeah, he would. I think that he would be a very interesting guest. I would love to be able to just talk to him about other things that 
other things about the UFO phenomenon, especially here in the region. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is funny. While Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren dodged Steer's ufological questioning, the other candidates provided their thoughts on the issue. Roughly 42 minutes in, Bernie Sanders exclaimed to the reporters, let's not jump the gun here, when asked about the UFO mystery and whether the Nimitz object was using green energy technology. While Sanders did jokingly state that his wife would never forgive him if he didn't look into the UFO question, he did state that looking into the Nimitz case, if true, should be considered. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Buttigieg said that strange things happen out there. While he admits that life most likely does exist, he hasn't really seen enough evidence to suggest it is visiting Earth. Yeah. yeah, wait until you get that, you know, after you get sworn in, dude. <laughs> uh, as a curious species, we should always be looking for what's going on around us, Buttigieg philo- philosophically remarks towards the end of the video. Yep. <sighs> yep, that's... Yeah, I'm jealous. I actually am jealous. I wish that I could have been able to ask Tulsi Gabbard some of those questions on something. I said we got to have him on. We really do. Yeah, we got to have we got to have him come on. Yep. So, are there any other UFO stories that we wanted to talk, or any, any other paranormal stories that we've sort of like skipped on because we've been focused so much on the New Hampshire primary? Well, the two things that I wanna that I kind of wanna look into for future podcasts is the the CIA dump of data and i'm also reading a book about the nahani valley which is in uh the pacific northwest of canada it's uh, actually further inland than the coast though um and there's been a lot of it's like canada's skinwalker ranch except it's instead of it being one ranch that's you know several hundred acres in size it's like an entire valley that is you know several square miles in size um, and they've got uh, things going on there. It's also known as the Headless Valley. I'm reading a book about it. And it's really kind of interesting because what they're saying is they believe that back in the um, frontier days, the trappers and stuff would head out there and they would they would get killed and they would find their headless bodies. So that's why it's called the Headless Valley. So I just think it's... Uh, it sounds fascinating to me, so that's something that I'm going to want to bring up probably in a future in a future podcast. But I got to finish reading the damn book first. You want to give the book a plug real quick, like the full name of the book and the the author's name? Yeah, hold on. Let me let me pull it up. Do 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 do. do. So this is what drives I'm reading it on Kindle because you know I'm all about that technology. So come on. So while Jay's looking for this book here, this is a perfect time to plug. If you want to support the show and get some great merchandise in the process, visit our Zazzle page, zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. 12.5% of every purchase goes directly into keeping this podcast and all the others on the Fedora Chronicles network on the air. So you were saying, now is this, is this, yeah, go ahead. The book is called Legends of the Nahani Valley by Hammerson Peters. And they actually, I got turned on to the book by a YouTube channel. Either Hammerson Peters has a YouTube channel, and that's I first heard some uh, the discussion about the Nahani Valley there. So, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a great episode. And uh, 
So yeah, anyway, I, I think that that's basically it. That's it for the show here. Um, unless you have something else that you're you're dying to talk about. No, no, not that, really. That doesn't involve Gwen- Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina candle. Or Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina in general. I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> it's not just a candle, so. Yeah, yeah, so. All right, and I just want to close the show out saying that, yes, and I did, I did go out and I did vote today. I did vote in um, our New Hampshire primary. Um, and, uh, and I'm glad I did. And, but I'm also, I'm also sad that it's over. I'm sad that the New Hampshire primary season is over. So, but now we get to talk to more interesting topics. And, uh, and now we can start getting back into the more of the metaphysical, which I know we've been getting yelled at by some of our listeners. Some of our listeners are bring back the metaphysical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also a great time to remind our listeners that if you here we have, we have a dedicated group just to the paranormal called metaphysical connection. And you can find it on Facebook. Just do a search metaphysical connection. Um, and I'm just skimming through here, right here. One of the things that we also need to talk about for a future episode, we have to thank John Pica for mentioning this, the 1941 Cape Girardeau, Missouri UFO crash with, U- with, with extraterrestrial bodies found. That's one of the things that we also want to be able to talk about in a, in a future right. episode here. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds like it'd be fun. Yeah. Have to look into it. Certainly would be. We need links. John, if you're listening, send us links. We got one link. We got one link that I'm going to put in the uh, in the show page. Damn it, I said links. That's Pearl. What the hell? <laughs> Come on, John Pica. Get with the paranormal program. Also, what the hell, John? Also, um, John Pica should come on our show and talk about his ghost tours because he has sort of like he's re- he's re careering into the paranormal like we have or we are and um they just talking about his his um his ghost tours would be in in his in the in his region i think it's in tennessee i mean obviously I definitely want to invite him on and, and, and talk about other ghost stories. And he also he also owes us um, a segment on our podcast to talk about the JFK assassination. He says he's got some interesting information. Well, damn it, John. What the hell? Hold him back? Yeah, I know he's doing I know that he's he's so busy with, um, you know, um, with his performing, his singing, and his in his sequel to Tales from the Flip Side, all of that. I'm paying the bills, John. You got to get on the podcast. <laughs> Which reminds me, I also owe him um, a couple of uh, of releases because we we've been so busy with the New Hampshire primary. Um, we have a uh, uh, an entire show dedicated to Man in the High Castle and the final season and the finale that I've, I haven't been able to release yet because I mean, it was so big, every, every, almost every waking hour that I have that I'm not spending at the factory. I'm trying to get Tulsi Gabbard's people on the podcast. So yeah, it's going to be, so I'm assuming she did not win the, um, the primary up there in New Hampshire. Well, I mean, it's while I'm recording, it's it's ten nineteen, and voting is still going on. So, well, that's true. so by that's the true. by the by the time people listen to this podcast, we might. I'm saying we might know who right. won the New Hampshire primary. Possibly, 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 but that's for news of the week. We're going to postpone that chit chat for later. Right, right, all right. right. We got to talk about the strange shit now. 
we got to start getting back into our bread and butter topics of the paranormal. Damn right. Also, there's also one other thing I wanted to wrap this up with. There are some people from uh, MUFON that I'm reaching out to. And because um, um, there, there are a couple of interesting things. I think I sent you. I know that we sort of already tried to wrap up the show. <laughs> I know that you're probably you're, you're probably trying to get off. Um, yeah, I probably need to go to work. You probably need to go to work here. Um, Largest strong today, though. So <laughs> let me just see here because um, there's some other interesting things on the on the Mufon um, website uh, that I wanted to share with our listeners. But I think we're going to save that for next week. And we also want to try and get the 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 current president of Mufon on our show and and talk about what's going on there and That'd see. Be what, cool. That would be. That would be. That would be very cool. So anyway, Jay, hey, you know what? Thanks for a really good um, show and, and thanks for holding my feet to the fire and saying, damn it, we're talking about the paranormal this time. Damn right. Someone's right. got to do it. And Carol's whip is not there, I know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. okay. We'll get we'll get past this. We're good. All right. <laughs> All right. Talk to you. Congratulations on surviving another episode of the Fedora Chronicles radio show with hosts Jason Cousino and Eric Renderking Fisk. Find out more about the Fedora Chronicles by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our past shows, show notes, and recent articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by simply searching for us on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook after you found it so that you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, Chronicle at google.com, are great ways to drop us a line with comments and show topic suggestions. We might even read your comment on the air. Support the show by contributing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what we're doing and for five dollars a month you get all that and a t-shirt or coffee mug terms and conditions apply and thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing you can also support the show and show off your incredible impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash fedora chronicles 12.5 percent of every sale goes directly into keeping this podcast and all the others on the Fedora Chronicles network on the air. That's Zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. The theme song for this show is Royal Flush by All of Music. The Fedora Chronicles radio show is edited and produced by Eric Render King Fisk. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2019-2020. All rights reserved. On behalf of Jason Cousineau, this is Eric Render King Fisk signing off and reminding you to keep your chin up and your fedora on.